section eight of the complete works of friedrich nietzsche volume three this librivox recording is in the public domain fifth lecture delivered on the twenty third of march eighteen seventy two ladies and gentlemen if you have lent a sympathetic ear to what i have told you about the heated argument of our philosopher and the stillness of that memorable night you must have felt as disappointed as we did when he announced his peevish intention you will remember that he had suddenly told us he wished to go for having been left in the lurch by his friend in the first place and in the second having been bored rather than animated by the remarks addressed to him by his companion and ourselves when walking backwards and forwards on the hillside he now apparently wanted to put an end to what appeared to him to be a useless discussion it must have seemed to him that his day had been lost and he would have liked to blot it out of his memory together with the recollection of ever having made our acquaintance and we were thus rather unwillingly preparing to depart when something else suddenly brought him to a standstill and the foot he had just raised sank hesitatingly to the ground again a coloured flame making a crackling noise for a few seconds attracted our attention from the direction of the rhine and immediately following upon this we heard a slow harmonious call quite in tune although plainly the cry of numerous youthful voices that's his signal exclaimed the philosopher so my friend is really coming and i haven't waited for nothing after all it will be a midnight meeting indeed but how am i to let him know that i am still here come your pistols let us see your talent once again did you hear the severe rhythm of that melody saluting us mark it well and answer it in the same rhythm by a series of shots this was a task well suited to our tastes and abilities so we loaded up as quickly as we could and pointed our weapons at the brilliant stars in the heavens whilst the echo of that piercing cry died away in the distance the reports of the first second and third shots sounded sharply in the stillness and then the philosopher cried false time as our rhythm was suddenly interrupted for like a lightning flash a shooting star tore its way across the clouds after the third report and almost involuntarily our fourth and fifth shots were sent after it in the direction it had taken false time said the philosopher again who told you to shoot stars they can fall well enough without you people should know what they want before they begin to handle weapons and then we once more heard that loud melody from the waters of the rhine intoned by numerous and strong voices they understand us said the philosopher laughing and who indeed could resist when such a dazzling phantom comes within range hush interrupted his friend 
what sort of a company can it be that returns the signal to us in such a way i should say they were between twenty and forty strong manly voices in that crowd and where would such a number come from to greet us they don't appear to have left the opposite bank of the rhine yet but at any rate we must have a look at them from our own side of the river come along quickly we were then standing near the top of the hill you may remember and our view of the river was interrupted by a dark thick wood on the other hand as i have told you from the quiet little spot which we had left we could have a better view than from the little plateau on the hillside and the rhine with the island of nunnenwerth in the middle was just visible to the beholder who peered over the tree-tops we therefore set off hastily towards this little spot taking care however not to go too quickly for the philosopher's comfort the night was pitch dark and we seemed to find our way by instinct rather than by clearly distinguishing the path as we walked down with the philosopher in the middle we had scarcely reached our side of the river when a broad and fiery yet dull and uncertain light shot up which plainly came from the opposite side of the rhine those are torches i cried there is nothing sure than that my comrades from bonn are over yonder and that your friend must be with them it is they who sang that peculiar song and they have doubtless accompanied your friend here see listen they are putting off in little boats the whole torchlight procession will have arrived here in less than half an hour the philosopher jumped back what do you say he ejaculated your comrades from bonn students can my friend have come here with students this question uttered almost wrathfully provoked us what's your objection to students we demanded but there was no answer it was only after a pause that the philosopher slowly began to speak not addressing us directly as it were but rather someone in the distance so my friend even at midnight even on the top of a lonely mountain we shall not be alone and you yourself are bringing a pack of mischief-making students along with you although you well know that i am only too glad to get out of the way of hoc genus omne i don't quite understand you my friend it must mean something when we arrange to meet after a long separation at such an out-of-the-way place and at such an unusual hour why should we want a crowd of witnesses and such witnesses what calls us together to-day is least of all a sentimental soft-hearted necessity for both of us learnt early in life to live alone in dignified isolation it was not for our own sakes not to show our tender feelings towards each other or to perform an unrehearsed act of friendship that we decided to meet here but that here where i once came suddenly upon you as you sat in majestic solitude we might earnestly deliberate with each other like knights of a new order let them listen to us who can understand us but why should you bring with you a throng of people who don't understand us i don't know what you mean by such a thing my friend we did not think it proper to interrupt the dissatisfied old grumbler 
and as he came to a melancholy close we did not dare to tell him how greatly this distrustful repudiation of students vexed us at last the philosopher's companion turned to him and said i am reminded of the fact that even you at one time before i made your acquaintance occupied posts in several universities and that reports concerning your intercourse with the students and your methods of instruction at the time are still in circulation from the tone of resignation in which you have just referred to students many would be inclined to think that you had some peculiar experiences which were not at all to your liking but personally i rather believe that you saw and experienced in such places just what every one else saw and experienced in them but that you judged what you saw and felt more justly and severely than any one else for during the time i have known you i have learnt that the most noteworthy instructive and decisive experiences and events in one's life are those which are of daily occurrence that the greatest riddle displayed in full view of all is seen by the fewest to be the greatest riddle and that these problems are spread about in every direction under the very feet of the passers-by for the few real philosophers to lift up carefully thenceforth to shine as diamonds of wisdom perhaps in the short time now left us before the arrival of your friend you would be good enough to tell us something of your experiences of university life so as to close the circle of the observations to which we were involuntarily urged respecting our educational institutions we may also be allowed to remind you that you at an earlier stage of your remarks gave me the promise that you would do so starting with the public school you claim for it an extraordinary importance all other institutions must be judged by its standard according as its aim has been proposed and if its aim happens to be wrong all the others have to suffer such an importance cannot now be adopted by the universities as a standard for by their present system of grouping they would be nothing more than institutions where public school students might go through finishing courses you promised me that you would explain this in greater detail later on perhaps our student friends can bear witness to that if they chance to overhear that part of our conversation we can testify to that i put in the philosopher then turned to us and said well if you really did listen attentively perhaps you can now tell me what you understand by the expression the present aim of our public schools besides you are still near enough to this sphere to judge my opinions by the standard of your own impressions and experiences my friend instantly answered quickly and smartly as was his habit in the following words until now we had always thought that the sole object of the public school was to prepare students for the universities this preparation however should tend to make us independent enough for the extraordinarily free position of a university student for it seems to me that a student to a greater extent than any other individual has more to decide and settle for himself he must guide himself on a wide utterly unknown path for many years so the public school must do its best to render him independent i continued the argument where my friend left off it even seems to me i said that everything for which you have justly blamed the public school 
is only a necessary means employed to imbue the youthful student with some kind of independence or at all events with the belief that there is such a thing the teaching of german composition must be at the service of this independence the individual must enjoy his opinions and carry out his designs early so that he may be able to travel alone and without crutches in this way he will soon be encouraged to produce original work and still sooner to take up criticism and analysis if latin and greek studies prove insufficient to make a student an enthusiastic admirer of antiquity the methods with which such studies are pursued are at all events sufficient to awaken the scientific sense the desire for a more strict causality of knowledge the passion for finding out and inventing only think how many young men may be lured away forever to the attractions of science by a new reading of some sort which they have snatched up with youthful hands at the public school the public school boy must learn and collect a great deal of varied information hence an impulse will gradually be created accompanied with which he will continue to learn and collect independently at the university we believe in short that the aim of the public school is to prepare and accustom the student always to live and learn independently afterwards just as beforehand he must live and learn dependently at the public school the philosopher laughed not altogether good-naturedly and said you have just given me a fine example of that independence and it is this very independence that shocks me so much and makes any place in the neighbourhood of present-day students so disagreeable to me yes my good friends you are perfect you are mature nature has cast you and broken up the moulds and your teachers must surely gloat over you what liberty certitude and independence of judgment what novelty and freshness of insight you sit in judgment and the cultures of all ages run away the scientific sense is kindled and rises out of you like a flame let people be careful lest you set them alight if i go further into the question and look at your professors i again find the same independence in a greater and even more charming degree never was there a time so full of the most sublime independent folk never was slavery more detested the slavery of education and culture included permit me however to measure this independence of yours by the standard of this culture and to consider your university as an educational institution and nothing else if a foreigner desires to know something of the methods of our universities he asks first of all with emphasis how is the student connected with the university we answer by the ear as a hearer the foreigner is astonished only by the ear he repeats only by the ear we again reply the student hears when he speaks when he sees when he is in the company of his companions when he takes up some branch of art in short when he lives he is independent that is not dependent upon the educational institution the student very often writes down something while he hears and it is only at these rare moments that he hangs to the umbilical cord of his alma mater he himself may choose what he is to listen to he is not bound to believe what is said 
he may close his ears if he does not care to hear this is the acromatic method of teaching the teacher however speaks to these listening students whatever else he may think and do is cut off from the student's perception by an immense gap the professor often reads when he is speaking as a rule he wishes to have as many hearers as possible he is not content to have a few and he is never satisfied with one only one speaking mouth with many ears and half as many writing hands there you have to all appearances the external academical apparatus the university engine of culture set in motion moreover the proprietor of this one mouth is severed from and independent of the owners of the many ears and this double independence is enthusiastically designated as academical freedom and again that this freedom may be broadened still more the one may speak what he likes and the other may hear what he likes except that behind both of them at a modest distance stands the state with all the intentness of a supervisor to remind the professors and students from time to time that it is the aim the goal the be-all and end-all of this curious speaking and hearing procedure we who must be permitted to regard this phenomenon merely as an educational institution will then inform the inquiring foreigner that what is called culture in our universities merely proceeds from the mouth to the ear and that every kind of training for culture is as i said before merely acroamatic since however not only the hearing but also the choice of what to hear is left to the independent decision of the liberal-minded and unprejudiced student and since again he can withhold all belief and authority from what he hears all training for culture in the true sense of the term reverts to himself and the independence it was thought desirable to aim at in the public school now presents itself with the highest possible pride as academical self-training for culture and struts about in its brilliant plumage happy times when youths are clever and cultured enough to teach themselves how to walk unsurpassable public schools which succeed in implanting independence in the place of dependence discipline subordination and obedience implanted by former generations that thought it their duty to drive away all the bumptiousness of independence do you clearly see my good friends why i from the standpoint of culture regard the present type of university as a mere appendage to the public school the culture instilled by the public school passes through the gates of the university as something ready and entire and with its own particular claims it demands it gives laws it sits in judgment do not then let yourselves be deceived in regard to the cultured student for he in so far as he thinks he has absorbed the blessings of education is merely the public school boy as moulded by the hands of his teacher one who senses academical isolation and after he has left the public school has therefore been deprived of all further guidance to culture that from now on he may begin to live by himself and be free free examine this freedom ye observers of human nature erected upon the sandy crumbling foundation of our present public school culture 
its building slants to one side trembling before the whirlwind's blast look at the free student the herald of self-culture guess what his instincts are explain him from his needs how does his culture appear to you when you measure it by three graduated scales first by his need for philosophy second by his instinct for art and third by greek and roman antiquity as the incarnate and categorical imperative of all culture man is so much encompassed about by the most serious and difficult problems that when they are brought to his attention in the right way he is impelled betimes towards a lasting kind of philosophical wonder from which alone as a fruitful soil a deep and noble culture can grow forth his own experiences lead him most frequently to the consideration of these problems and it is especially in the tempestuous period of youth that every personal event shines with a double gleam both as the exemplification of a triviality and at the same time of an eternally surprising problem deserving of explanation at this age which as it were sees his experiences encircled with metaphysical rainbows man is in the highest degree in need of a guiding hand because he is suddenly and almost instinctively convinced himself of the ambiguity of existence and has lost the firm support of the beliefs he has hitherto held this natural state of great need must of course be looked upon as the worst enemy of that beloved independence for which the cultured youth of the present day should be trained all these sons of the present who have raised the banner of the self-understood are therefore straining every nerve to crush down these feelings of youth to cripple them to mislead them or to stop their growth altogether and the favourite means employed is to paralyse that natural philosophic impulse by the so-called historical culture a still recent system which has won for itself a world-wide scandalous reputation has discovered the formula for this self-destruction of philosophy and now wherever the historical view of things is found we can see such a naive recklessness in bringing the irrational to rationality and reason and making black look like white that one is even inclined to parody hegel's phrase and ask is all this irrationality real ah it is only the irrational that now seems to be real that is really doing something and to bring this kind of reality forward for the elucidation of history is reckoned as true historical culture it is into this that the philosophical impulse of our time has pupated itself and the peculiar philosophers of our universities seem to have conspired to fortify and confirm the young academicians in it it has thus come to pass that in place of a profound interpretation of the eternally recurring problems a historical yea even philological balancing and questioning has entered into the educational arena what this or that philosopher has or has not thought whether this or that essay or dialogue is to be ascribed to him or not or even whether this particular reading of a classical text is to be preferred to that it is to neutral preoccupations with philosophy like these that our students in philosophical seminaries are stimulated whence i have long accustomed myself to regard such science 
as a mere ramification of philology and to value its representatives in proportion as they are good or bad philologists so it has come about that philosophy itself is banished from the universities wherewith our first question as to the value of our universities from the standpoint of culture is answered in what relationship these universities stand to art cannot be acknowledged without shame in none at all of artistic thinking learning striving and comparison we do not find in them a single trace and no one would seriously think that the voice of the universities would ever be raised to help the advancement of the higher national schemes of art whether an individual teacher feels himself to be personally qualified for art or whether a professorial chair has been established for the training of aestheticizing literary historians does not enter into the question at all the fact remains that the university is not in a position to control the young academician by severe artistic discipline and that it must let happen what happens willy-nilly and this is the cutting answer to the immodest pretensions of the universities to represent themselves as the highest educational institutions we find our academical independence growing up without philosophy and without art and how can they then have any need to go in for the greeks and romans for we need now no longer pretend like our forefathers to have any great regard for greece and rome which besides sit enthroned in almost inaccessible loneliness and majestic alienation the universities of the present time consequently give no heed to almost extinct educational predilections like these and found their philological chairs for the training of new and exclusive generations of philologists who on their part give similar philological preparation in the public schools a vicious circle which is useful neither to philologists nor to public schools but which above all accuses the university for the third time of not being what it so pompously proclaims itself to be a training ground for culture take away the greeks together with philosophy and art and what latter have you still remaining by which to ascend to culture for if you attempt to clamber up the ladder without these helps you must permit me to inform you that all your learning will lie like a heavy burden on your shoulders rather than furnishing you with wings and bearing you aloft if you honest thinkers have honourably remained in these three stages of intelligence and have perceived that in comparison with the greeks the modern student is unsuited to and unprepared for philosophy that he has no truly artistic instincts is merely a barbarian believing himself to be free you will not on this account turn away from him in disgust although you will of course avoid coming into too close proximity with him for as he now is he is not to blame as you have perceived him he is the dumb but terrible accuser of those who are to blame you should understand the secret language spoken by this guilty innocent and then you too would learn to understand the inward state of that independence which is paraded outwardly with so much ostentation not one of these noble well-qualified youths has remained a stranger to that restless tiring perplexing and debilitating need of culture during his university term when he is apparently the only free man 
in a crowd of servants and officials he atones for this huge illusion of freedom by ever-growing inner doubts and convictions he feels that he can neither lead nor help himself and then he plunges hopelessly into the workaday world and endeavours to ward off such feelings by study the most trivial bustle fastens itself upon him he sinks under his heavy burden then he suddenly pulls himself together he still feels some of that power within him which would have enabled him to keep his head above water pride and noble resolutions assert themselves and grow in him he is afraid of sinking at this early stage into the limits of a narrow profession and now he grasps at pillars and railings alongside the stream that he may not be swept away by the current in vain for these supports give way and he finds he has clutched at broken reeds in low and despondent spirits he sees his plans vanish away in smoke his condition is undignified even dreadful he keeps between the two extremes of work at high pressure and a state of melancholy enervation then he becomes tired lazy afraid of work fearful of everything great and hating himself he looks into his own breast analyzes his faculties and finds he is only peering into hollow and chaotic vacuity and then he once more falls from the heights of his eagerly desired self-knowledge into an ironical scepticism he divests his struggles of their real importance and feels himself ready to undertake any class of useful work however degrading he now seeks consolation in hasty and incessant action so as to hide himself from himself and thus his helplessness and the want of a leader towards culture drive him from one form of life into another but doubt elevation worry hope despair everything flings him hither and thither as a proof that all the stars above him by which he could have guided his ship have set there you have the picture of this glorious independence of yours of that academical freedom reflected in the highest minds those which are truly in need of culture compared with whom that other crowd of indifferent natures does not count at all natures that delight in their freedom in a purely barbaric sense for these latter show by their base smugness and their narrow professional limitations that this is the right element for them against which there is nothing to be said their comfort however does not counterbalance the suffering of one single young man who has an inclination for culture and feels the need of a guiding hand and who at last in a moment of discontent throws down the reins and begins to despise himself this is the guiltless innocent for who has saddled him with the unbearable burden of standing alone who has urged him on to independence at an age when one of the most natural and peremptory needs of you is so to speak a self-surrendering to great leaders and an enthusiastic following in the footsteps of the masters it is repulsive to consider the effects to which the violent suppression of such noble natures may lead he who surveys the greatest supporters and friends of that pseudo-culture of the present time which i so greatly detest will only too frequently find among them such degenerate and shipwrecked men of culture driven by inward despair to violent enmity against culture 
when in a moment of desperation there was no one at hand to show them how to attain it it is not the worst and most insignificant people whom we afterwards find acting as journalists and writers for the press in the metamorphosis of despair the spirit of some well-known men of letters might even be described and justly as degenerate studentdom how else for example can we reconcile that once well-known young germany with its present degenerate successors here we discover a need of culture which so to speak has grown mutinous and which finally breaks out into the passionate cry i am culture there before the gates of the public schools and universities we can see the culture which has been driven like a fugitive away from these institutions true this culture is without the erudition of those establishments but assumes nevertheless the mien of a sovereign so that for example gutzkow the novelist might be pointed to as the best example of a modern public school boy turned aesthete such a degenerate man of culture is a serious matter and it is a horrifying spectacle for us to see that all our scholarly and journalistic publicity bears the stigma of this degeneracy upon it how else can we do justice to our learned men who pay untiring attention to and even cooperate in the journalistic corruption of the people how else than by the acknowledgment that their learning must fill a want of their own similar to that filled by novel writing in the case of others that is a flight from one's self an ascetic extirpation of their cultural impulses a desperate attempt to annihilate their own individuality from our degenerate literary art as also from that itch for scribbling of our learned men which has now reached such alarming proportions wells forth the same sigh oh that we could forget ourselves the attempt fails memory not yet suffocated by the mountains of printed paper under which it is buried keeps on repeating from time to time a degenerate man of culture born for culture and brought up to non-culture helpless barbarian slave of the day chained to the present moment and thirsting for something ever thirsting oh the miserable guilty innocents for they lack something a need that every one of them must have felt a real educational institution which could give them goals masters methods companions and from the midst of which the invigorating and uplifting breath of the true german spirit would inspire them thus they perish in the wilderness thus they degenerate into enemies of that spirit which is at bottom closely allied to their own thus they pile fault upon fault higher than any former generation ever did soiling the clean desecrating the holy canonizing the false and spurious it is by them that you can judge the educational strength of our universities asking yourselves in all seriousness the question what cause did you promote through them the german power of invention the noble german desire for knowledge the qualifying of the german for diligence and self-sacrifice splendid and beautiful things which other nations envy you yea the finest and most magnificent things in the world if only that true german spirit overspread them like a dark thundercloud pregnant with the blessing of forthcoming rain 
but you are afraid of this spirit and it has therefore come to pass that a cloud of another sort has thrown a heavy and oppressive atmosphere around your universities in which your noble-minded scholars breathe wearily and with difficulty a tragic earnest and instructive attempt was made in the present century to destroy the cloud i have last referred to and also to turn the people's looks in the direction of the high welkin of the german spirit in all the annals of our universities we cannot find any trace of a second attempt and he who would impressively demonstrate what is now necessary for us will never find a better example i refer to the old primitive Birkenschaft. when the war of liberation was over the young student brought back home the unlooked-for and worthiest trophy of battle the freedom of his fatherland crowned with this laurel he thought of something still nobler on returning to the university and finding that he was breathing heavily he became conscious of that oppressive and contaminated air which overhung the culture of the university he suddenly saw with horror-struck wide-open eyes the non-german barbarism hiding itself in the guise of all kinds of scholasticism he suddenly discovered that his own leaderless comrades were abandoned to a repulsive kind of youthful intoxication and he was exasperated he rose with the same aspect of proud indignation as schiller may have had when reciting the robbers to his companions and if he had prefaced his drama with the picture of a lion and the motto in tyrannos his follower himself was that very lion preparing to spring and every tyrant began to tremble yes if these indignant youths were looked at superficially and timorously they would seem to be little less than schiller's robbers their talk sounded so wild to the anxious listener that rome and sparta seemed mere nunneries compared with these new spirits the consternation raised by these young men was indeed far more general than had ever been caused by those other robbers in court circles of which a german prince according to goethe is said to have expressed the opinion if he had been god and had foreseen the appearance of the robbers he would not have created the world whence came the incomprehensible intensity of this alarm for those young men were the bravest purest and most talented of the band both in dress and habits they were distinguished by a magnanimous recklessness and a noble simplicity a divine command bound them together to seek harder and more pious superiority what could be feared from them to what extent this fear was merely deceptive or simulated or really true is something that will probably never be exactly known but a strong instinct spoke out of this fear and out of its disgraceful and senseless persecution this instinct hated the birkenschaft with an intense hatred for two reasons first of all on account of its organization as being the first attempt to construct a true educational institution and secondly on account of the spirit of this institution that earnest manly stern and daring german spirit that spirit of the minor son luther which has come down to us unbroken from the time of the reformation think of the fate of the birkenschaft when i ask you did the german university then understand that spirit as even the german princes in their hatred appear to have understood it 
did the alma mater boldly and resolutely throw her protecting arms round her noble sons and say you must kill me first before you touch my children i hear your answer by it you may judge whether the german university is an educational institution or not the student knew at that time at what depth a true educational institution must take root namely in an inward renovation and inspiration of the purest moral faculties and this must always be repeated to the student credit he may have learnt on the field of battle what he could learn least of all in the sphere of academical freedom that great leaders are necessary and that all culture begins with obedience and in the midst of victory with his thoughts turned to his liberated fatherland he made the vow that he would remain german german now he learned to understand his tacitus now he grasped the signification of kant's categorical imperative now he was enraptured by weber's lyre and sword songs the gates of philosophy of art yea even of antiquity opened unto him and in one of the most memorable of bloody acts the murder of kotzebue he revenged with penetrating insight and enthusiastic short-sightedness his one and only schiller prematurely consumed by the opposition of the stupid world schiller who could have been his leader master and organizer and whose loss he now bewailed with such heartfelt resentment for that was the doom of those promising students they did not find the leaders they wanted they gradually became uncertain discontented and at variance among themselves unlucky indiscretions showed only too soon that the one indispensability of powerful minds was lacking in the midst of them and while that mysterious murder gave evidence of astonishing strength it gave no less evidence of the grave danger arising from the want of a leader they were leaderless therefore they perished for i repeat it my friends all culture begins with the very opposite of that which is now so highly esteemed as academical freedom with obedience with subordination with discipline with subjection and as leaders must have followers so also must the followers have a leader here a certain reciprocal predisposition prevails in the hierarchy of spirits yea a kind of pre-established harmony this eternal hierarchy towards which all things naturally tend is always threatened by that pseudo-culture which now sits on the throne of the present it endeavours either to bring the leaders down to the level of its own servitude or else to cast them out altogether it seduces the followers when they are seeking their predestined leader and overcomes them by the fumes of its narcotics when however in spite of all this leader and followers have at last met wounded and sore there is an impassioned feeling of rapture like the echo of an ever-sounding lyre a feeling which i can let you divine only by means of a simile have you ever at a musical rehearsal looked at the strange shrivelled-up good-natured species of men who usually form the german orchestra what changes and fluctuations we see in that capricious goddess form what noses and ears what clumsy danse macabre movements just imagine for a moment that you were deaf and had never dreamed of the existence of sound or music and that you were looking upon the orchestra as a company of actors and trying to enjoy their performance as a drama and nothing more 
undisturbed by the idealizing effect of the sound you could never see enough of the stern mediaeval wood-cutting movement of this comical spectacle this harmonious parody on the homo sapiens now on the other hand assume that your musical sense has returned and that your ears are opened look at the honest conductor at the head of the orchestra performing his duties in a dull spiritless fashion you no longer think of the comical aspect of the whole scene you listen but it seems to you that the spirit of tediousness spreads out from the honest conductor over all his companions now you see only torpidity and flabbiness you hear only the trivial the rhythmically inaccurate and the melodiously trite you see the orchestra only as an indifferent ill-humoured and even wearisome crowd of players but set a genius a real genius in the midst of this crowd and you instantly perceive something almost incredible it is as if this genius in his lightning transmigration had entered into these mechanical lifeless bodies and as if only one demoniacal eye gleamed forth out of them all now look and listen you can never listen enough when you again observe the orchestra now loftily storming now fervently wailing when you notice the quick tightening of every muscle and the rhythmical necessity of every gesture then you too will feel what a pre-established harmony there is between leader and followers and now in the hierarchy of spirits everything impels us towards the establishment of a like organization you can divine from my simile what i would understand by a true educational institution and why i am very far from recognizing one in the present type of university End of section eight